right, well, good morning. I haven't met yet. Met you yet. My name's Aaron. I'm from the church in Fort Collins. This is actually my first DTC here. I'm here with my oldest son, Caleb. We have four children, and uh, this is our first time coming. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about myself, about my story in just a couple minutes, but I wanted to start this morning with a, a verse, and actually just a, a fragment of a verse, just two words out of a verse. This is a simple command out of Proverbs 4, 5. And it says, get wisdom. Okay, get wisdom, get insight. And if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, that's a lot of what Proverbs says. It says, get wisdom. Make that your goal and be willing to give just about anything for wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. Yesterday, when we started our, our road trip, um, one of the guys in our, our car asked everybody else, what do you hope to get out of this time at DTC? And one of the guys, his first response was basically to get wisdom, which is a fantastic response. That's a really, really fantastic goal that we should have. I hope you're here to get wisdom. Wisdom should be one of our, our primary goals. It, it, it means a whole lot. And I think it should especially be one of your primary goals in, in high school. As you go through your high school years, I hope that you're seeking wisdom. That's something that you want. First and foremost, you want wisdom. Especially because there are so many voices in high school and, and beyond that are inviting you towards foolishness. Um, I I remember that. I remember high school. I remember my college years. And I remember a lot of those voices saying, come do something foolish. And a lot of us that have gone through those years, we have regrets because of that foolishness that we were invited into. And not just kind of funny regrets, but these these deep, guilt-inducing regrets where we feel kind of broken because of some of the foolishness that we were drawn into. And so I hope your goal in high school is to get wisdom. And it's not, not uh, one of the, the thousand other things that you might be seeking, that you're tempted to seek, to, to being well-liked or to, to be funny or to be talented or, or to be successful or whatever it might be. I hope you want wisdom, that when people look at you, you want them to say, you know, I think that's a wise person. There's an, there's an insight in that person. I hope that's a goal that you have. But if that's true, if that's our goal, we have to ask, well, how do we get it? And I'm going to make this a little interactive here this morning. I'm going to ask you maybe uh, two or three questions over the course of this morning, and I'm I'm going to ask for some feedback here. How do we get wisdom? There are a lot of right answers to that question, but what do you think? Somebody shout something out. How do you get wisdom? You pray for it? Absolutely. We are dependent on God for our wisdom, and so we need to ask him. What else? Listen to someone who has it. That's fantastic. You Search the Bible. What was that? Gaga ball. Right. Oh, yeah, I should have, I should have heard that sooner. That, that's a, that should be one of our top priorities, right? But those are some good ones. Bible, prayer, um, somebody else, you know, getting, uh, sitting at the feet of somebody else that, that has wisdom, surrounding yourself with wise people. That's a really critical choice. Am I going to spend most of my time with people that are wise and can I glean from them? 
That's really, really important. Those are all great answers. I think in addition to those methods of getting wisdom, we need a certain perspective. Okay? And I want to let Moses actually share that perspective that I, I think helps us to get wisdom. This is a, a psalm that Moses wrote, Psalm chapter 90. And in verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we number our days rightly, we grow in wisdom. So when we put our, our life or the span of our life in, in the appropriate place, we understand how short it is. We understand how short it is in comparison to what comes after. When we put it in that, that right place, we gain wisdom. And, and all our decisions can, can flow out of that. Just when I see the length of my days appropriately, I grow in wisdom. And I think that's been very true in my life. I make wise choices when I understand the length of my life and when I understand what comes after it. That's why this theme that we're talking about this week is so, so important. When we put our lifespan in the context of eternity, that's when we get wise. We get that heart of wisdom. And I start asking myself, I make decisions through that lens. I say, will this, will this matter what I'm doing here? Will this matter in eternity? I'm asking those kinds of questions when I'm, when I'm counting the number of my days. So we want to gain wisdom by, by putting our life in the right slot there. So this week is really, really important. I hope, my prayer is that we can number our days correctly after this week. This week would really help us to do that. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray for that right now and then get into what we're going to talk about this morning. So join with me in prayer once again. God, I pray that we can, we can number our days. We want to have that prayer just like Moses did that we would number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us how short our lives are, and yet teach us how important these days are. This life is very short, and yet what we do in this life matters. It matters for eternity. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that perspective. We want a room full of, of wisdom here, people that are very wise, and yet it takes putting our, uh, the span of our life in the proper context. Please help us to do that. Use this morning to help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in order to help us uh, number our days, we're going to talk about a few things this morning, and we're going to start with just basic faith. I want to talk about faith a little bit. Now, if you're a Christian, although I assume that, I, I imagine not everybody in this room is a Christian, but if you are a Christian or have just been around Christians much, you understand that faith is really important and that faith is, is what saves us. So last night, Steve talked about hell. And that hell is this really, uh, really awful thing. Um, and yet, Jesus offers to rescue us from that. He saves us from that eternal torment and punishment. But he does it through faith. Okay, so a very famous verse in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved, so it's God's undeserved love that saves you, but it, it's through faith. We access it through faith. And so, it's, so faith is really important. Okay, we, we all need faith. Okay, we have to bring faith to God. 
And through our faith, he rescues us. But the the next question is, well, what is faith? Faith is so critical in the Christian life, but sometimes we don't exactly know what it is. Maybe we don't uh, know how to define faith very well, so I'm going to ask you guys again another question. What is faith? How would you describe it? What do you think? Okay. Okay. You looked ahead at my notes, didn't you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're going to actually get to that, that, that in a minute. But yeah, that's true. There's a confidence in things hoped for. Trusting. trusting. That's a good synonym for faith. There's a trust. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Following somebody. Following somebody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a, a discipleship in that. You're following somebody. There's a faith because you're, you're trusting them as you're following them. Those are good. Believing in something you can't see, that's a big part of it too. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of those in just a minute. Um, as we try to define faith, I want to tell you a little bit about my story and, and coming to faith. So I came to faith when I was in college, my second year of college. Prior to that, I had grown up in a home that you could describe as, as at least semi-religious and that we went to church pretty regularly. My, my mother had grown up um, in a Catholic church, a Catholic family. My father had grown up kind of a nominal Lutheran, and they went to a Lutheran church at least occasionally. Um, they got married and, and, and uh, had me, and we uh, actually went to both of those churches at different times um, during my childhood. We went to the Catholic church for part of it, went to a Lutheran church for part of it. And so I grew up growing, going to church. However, in my home, we I, don't, I actually don't remember us having a, a, really a conversation about God. And so we'd go to church because that was sort of tradition, that was routine, that's what my parents had grown up with. But, but they also grew up with this mentality that you went to church dutifully, but you didn't talk about God and religion outside of church. And so, so we really didn't in my household. Um, and so I grew up in that kind of environment having a value on, on going to church and kind of going through the religious motions, I suppose. And in that, I had a, a, a belief in God. I thought, God's, God's there. But that belief didn't have a whole lot of definition. I couldn't have told you a lot about who God was. I just thought, God is, God is there. God is out there somewhere, but he probably just wound up the clock and let it go, and I don't know much more about him than that. And so that's how I grew up, and I graduated high school, and then I came to school at CSU in Fort Collins, and my freshman year of school, I stopped going to church um, altogether, and uh, just, just kind of drifted through life that first year, and um, probably did some foolish things. I associated myself with foolish people, definitely, and um, and. My, my uh, view of God became even fuzzier over that year. I think I still believed that there, there was something, someone out there, but I just really didn't know what he was all about. And, um, and so I just drifted through that freshman year. I didn't go off the rails um, crazy um, and really plunge into the party scene, although I stuck my foot in there a little bit, did a handful of foolish things, but again, not, not totally off the rails, but I just... I, I just wasn't really sure who God was or if he had much relevance in my life. My uh, sophomore year of college, I came back to CSU and moved into the dorm again. And um, just before the start of that, that fall semester, actually I, was, I had moved into to my room on this dorm floor 
And he may not even remember this, but Josh Whitney invited me to my first church activity. And uh, Josh lived in my dorm. And what Josh was doing, they, the, the church, he was part of the church, and they had planned this little activity called Summer Jam. And on campus, there was uh, the church band was out there playing. They were setting up some volleyball nets to, to play volleyball. There were some raffles and giveaways and that kind of thing, just this mini little festival atmosphere out on um, this, this place on the campus. Josh, living in my dorm, um, decided to walk up and down the dorm floors and just invite anybody he saw to this event. And I was standing out on my dorm floor, and he invited me to come to, to Summer Jam. And at the time, I was just really getting, um, getting into volleyball. And I heard there were volleyball nets set up there, and so I said, I'll go. And so I went, and I went with my good friend, Dove Cranson. Some of you know him. Some of, some of you, he's your pastor. And um, both of us were, were unsaved at the time. We had gotten to be good friends our freshman year of college. And so we went to this thing. And we... Uh, we played volleyball all evening. I don't think we even talked to anybody from the church that evening, but we just played volleyball. But at the end of the evening, we grabbed a flyer, and this flyer just had a list of activities for the next week that the church was doing. And the next day, they were going to this Colorado Rockies baseball game in Denver. And we said, why don't we jump in there? We'll go to the Rockies game. And so Dove and I showed up, and there was just a really small uh, student group from the church at that time. Rich Thatcher was a part of it. And, um, and he, he and a handful of others and Josh took us down in just a couple cars to this Rockies game. And there were four of us that were unbelievers that showed up to this. And it was, it was myself and Dove and this other guy named Brandon Pullen. Some of you know him. He's a pastor in Phoenix now. And this other guy that we never saw again. And... Um, and, and the four of us went down to this, this Rockies game, started hanging out with these guys, got to know them. And they loved us and, and sort of welcomed us in. And we started coming back and hanging out with them more and more and more. And the next week, we, we returned, did, did more things with them. And eventually, they started asking us or inviting us to church and to, to Bible studies. And just by the way, this was, um, this was an, a, an amazing outreach that these guys put on. They just went to a, a Rockies game, and they got four unbelieving guys to go with them. Um, but three of them, later that semester, got saved, and now all three of them are pastors, actually. And so this remarkable outreach, just going to a Rockies game, and there's, so, so just to remind you, there, there can be an amazing power, just a little invite. Just come with us to, to play volleyball. Come with us to play, to, to go to a Rockies game, and there can be some incredible fruit that comes out of that. Now, of course, they didn't start, stop there. And they, they kept inviting, and um, I, I started going to church and to different Bible studies. Uh, there was a, a Bible study on campus that was about evidences for the resurrection. And for the first time in my life, I heard reason to believe that the Bible might actually be true, and that these events really happened, and that Jesus really did die and rise again, and it was compelling to me. And, and as I, I went to these Bible studies into church, God started to come nearer is what it felt like. I, I, I believe that he was there already, I, I think. I mean, he was, something was there. Somebody made all of this. But now he started to come near and, and nearer. And I started to believe, I think this book is true here. And I think it can be trusted. And I think what it says about my future is true. 
and, and I want to receive what it, it says. And so eventually I put my, my faith in, in Jesus. Now, what happened there is I, I, I discovered a faith. It's not just that I discovered a, a belief, like in the existence of God, I discovered a faith of some sort. And so let's try to think about what that, that faith is. And we'll go to Hebrews 11. Um, Sam quoted one verse that we're going to get to in a second out of Hebrews 11, but let me quote a different one. Hebrews 11.6 gives us a little bit of a definition of faith. And it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's kind of a two-part definition of faith here. One, if, if you have faith, biblical faith, you believe that God exists. Okay, I kind of had that checked. But also, you believe that he rewards those who seek him. So you not, not only believe in the fact of his existence, he's present, he's there, but you also believe that he's active and he's, he does something and he will actually bring good into your life in time. At some time, he is going to reward, he's going to bring good. That was the part of faith I didn't have growing up. But, but my sophomore year of college, I came to that faith where I believed he's not only there, but he's going to do something as I seek him. And he's going to reward me in some way. I'll share the verse that, um, that Sam was quoting earlier, um, just before the, the last verse. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so what we could say is that biblical faith is a lot like hope. Okay, that's not, that's not all of it, but there's this big component of, of hope in it. That when I come to faith in Jesus, and when I grow in my faith, I'm growing in my hope, I'm growing in my expectation, my anticipation of reward. That's a lot of what faith is. And so, that's why we're talking about what we're talking about this week. If faith is so important for the Christian life, and faith in large part is, is really hope and this expectation of what's to come, we want to understand what's to come, understand that reward that he's promising us. And so, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And this morning, we're going to talk about about heaven and try to get a, a picture of heaven in our mind. Obviously, Steve talked about hell last night. Well, this morning, it's going to be a little bit of a two-parter where Greg Miller and myself are going to try to describe heaven. And this is really important to have that picture. This is what fuels that hope, fuels our faith, is to have a, a good idea of what, what God's reward is that he's offering. And so often, we have... Uh, I don't know, maybe a twisted vision of what that reward is. Just the other day, I was talking to my 11-year-old, and he was struggling with the idea of heaven. And he was struggling with it because he, uh, he had that kind of stereotypical picture. He had read a book, and he had gotten this, this picture in, of heaven of, you know, floating on clouds and having that, you know, mellow background music um, that wasn't that exciting and was kind of irritating, and he had just that stereotypical vision of heaven in his mind, and so he didn't really want it. Okay? And, um, and a lot of us can, can be there. We say, I, I, don't, I don't know what heaven really looks like, and I'm not sure that I want it. And so, so we don't hope, and we don't have that kind of faith. 
Well, this morning, we want to try to clarify that picture a little bit. And we're going to do that by talking about heaven for what it is. What is heaven? And that's what Greg's going to talk about in just a few minutes. And that's going to be really important. He's going to describe what I think we can trust will be in heaven. Really, really important to have that accurate view. But we're also going to talk about what's not in heaven. That's what I'm going to cover just for the, the remainder of our time here. What's not in heaven. And that's important because um, when you look at the Bible, actually, a lot of the description of heaven is, is not only what's, what's there, but what's not. A lot of the verses describing heaven say what's not in heaven. So let me ask you again, what's not going to be in heaven? Pain? Pain. Pain is not going to be in heaven. Tears will not be in heaven. Fear? That's right. You guys have looked at my notes again, I see. Sin will not be in heaven. Imperfection. Death? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these things will not be in heaven. And if we can grasp that, like living life without those things, those things that so much characterize our life on this earth, then heaven becomes overwhelmingly compelling. And it's really important that we have that, that picture. Let me share just a, a couple passages that cover a lot of those things that you just said. Well, we're going to start in the Old Testament with Isaiah 65. And in Isaiah 60, 65, the new heavens and the new earth are described. And this is how I, Isaiah describes it. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in, the sound, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more will that be heard. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So there's not this kind of injustice where you do something and you don't reap the benefits or you do something and somebody else gets the credit or whatever. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Okay, I think in Isaiah 65, it is describing this lack of injustice. And we experience so much injustice, so much unfairness here. We've experienced a lot in our world lately, which I'll get to in a minute. But that's not going to be in heaven. Those kinds of injustices. Let's go to the New Testament now in just a short verse. You guys quoted uh, some, of the, some of what this verse says, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So in this time, this is again describing from the New Testament's perspective, the new heavens and the new earth, and, and those, those things will be former. They will have passed away. Death, mourning, crying, pain. So just to summarize, those, those two passages, these are those former things in heaven, those things that have passed away, injustice and the distress that comes along with, with injustice, pain and the crying that comes along with pain, and even death, and the mourning that comes through, through death, comes because of death and, and loss. Um, and you know, those, those are the things in this, in this life that so dishearten us. 
that overwhelm us in so many ways. And these are the things that can often um, drive away our hope. And when we, we are trying to, to get a, a faith and a hope, these things tend to, to crush that faith or that hope. They, they can, at least. Um, and our world has experienced a lot of these things recently, of course, just, just broadly. So the first one, injustice and distress. Of course, our, our nation has just been on fire the last couple months. And we are, are uh, just, just injustices in lots of different ways are becoming more visible to many of us. We're just seeing injustice all, all around us and great distress from those, those kinds of things. Of course, we're seeing pain and crying and we have this, this disease that is sweeping the world and we're seeing so much heartache because of it, not just from, from death, but from separation and pain and, and, and discouragement. I uh, heard a story recently uh, a friend, um, her, uh, her grandparents um, are, are, are getting older, and her grandfather is uh, uh, suffering from dementia, and so he has trouble with his memory, and he's in a, an assistant living um, facility. And, and as his, his memory is, um, you know, he's struggling with his memory, he, of course, needs refreshment. He needs um, to, to, to see things and to think about things and to see people, to remember them. Um, and so he, he's in this facility, and his, his wife lives elsewhere but comes to see him um, every day until a few months ago and, and where she couldn't anymore. And, and when she came to see him every day, um, he would remember her, and now he doesn't. And in just this, this heartbreaking situation where, where this, this marriage, at the end of their lives, they, they, they've lost this connection with each other. My, my parents actually are, are going through this, um, this incredibly difficult situation right now. You may have, have, have seen about this in the news um, uh, a, a couple months ago. Um, so this woman in the, the middle of this picture, her name's Suzanne Morphew, and she, she, she uh, lives in southern Colorado, and she disappeared on Mother's Day. She went for a bike ride, and she never returned. And, um, and there's been a search for, a, for the last couple months, and there has not been any, any trace of her. These are her two daughters on either side of her. One's in college, one's in high school. Um, they are, are my parents' neighbors, and, and pretty close to him. Actually, my, my mom has a pretty good friendship with this woman, and, uh, and she just disappeared. And my, my parents took in um, her husband and these two daughters and a lot of extended family, and over the last couple of months, they've been just trying to love these people and share in their distress and their pain at this loss. Most likely, this woman was abducted. And... Um, and and there's a, there's a doubt that she, that she's still alive, um, and this family is going through this incredible distress and this mourning where it's it's expected that that her life has been lost, but there's no closure and there's just this ongoing uncertain mourning that they're experiencing. It's really really hard, and these are the the kinds of things, like I said, that just 
break us and they steal our, our, our hope and our, our faith and, and, and they, they cause us to, to distance ourselves from God and we think God must not be there. He doesn't care at least. And this is what so many people encounter. They go through something really, really hard. Um, sometimes unspeakably hard. And, and they give up on God. This is one of the biggest challenges that the world brings against God. It's the problem of evil, basically. Where, where we experience this brokenness and we say, God must not be there. And, of course, each, each of us is experiencing some, some of that brokenness as well. I, I, I could ask you, which are you experiencing right now? Is there an injustice, a distress, a pain, even a death that you may be experiencing? All of us are right now. And maybe not in, in, in those really seemingly severe ways, but, but still in really significant ways. Maybe just the injustice of some kind of social ostracism. Like uh, you, you felt like a friend betrayed you in some way. You were gossiped about, something like that, and you're experiencing that kind of injustice. Maybe there's a pain you're experiencing. Um, could be physical pain. Maybe there's just some kind of ailment that you're, it's always there. There's always just that little pain that you're experiencing. Maybe there is some, some death or, or loss that's significant in your life. And and which is it right now? And I want you to think about that. I want you to have something in mind for the next few minutes. What is that thing that is really weighing on you and it has the potential to, to cause you to turn from God or at least distance yourself a little bit? You know, I, I imagine, again, that, that all of us have something that is in the way right now, some kind of pain, and it's causing God to feel distant. And it's, it's taken away from our hope. What is that for, for you right now? But what's interesting is even though we, we have this experience of, of these kinds of pains driving us from God, the, the Bible talks about pain differently. It talks about suffering differently. If you're a Christian, it talks about it very, very differently. Let me give you a few verses First of all, there's James 1. And what James says about suffering is this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says those trials, that pain, those, those instances of suffering, he says to rejoice in them. Count it all joy. Very similarly, Romans 5 says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, rejoice in my suffering. And it even says that suffering leads to hope. That's the end result of suffering. And that doesn't, that doesn't always compute. That seems really counterintuitive. How does suffering lead to hope? It seems like it does the opposite. At least that can be a lot of our experience. Suffering strips away our hope. But the Bible says, no, it's, it's the other way. Suffering actually results in hope if you filter your suffering through the right perspective. Here's what I, what I think. 
I think pain reminds me of the day it will be removed. Okay, it reminds me of the day it will be removed. At least it has the potential to do that. When I experience some kind of pain, what it can stir in me is this won't be here forever. One day God's going to take this away and God's going to take me into a place where it will no longer be part of my reality. Have you ever um, done something that took a, a, a fair amount of endurance, like a, an endurance-based sport? Um, I'm not, not really a runner, um, but I run some just to, to keep in, in shape. And so I'll go for runs here and there. And um, in the middle of a run, uh, you know, a, a longer run, you feel like this is absolute agony. And my legs are on fire and my chest is on fire and I can hardly breathe and you, you don't want to go on. But you know, in the last couple hundred yards of a long run, um, you, you, see the, you see the finish line and there can be this fresh burst of energy that's just stirred in you. Um, because you, you feel the pain, it's very real, but you say, you know what, I, I've just got a little, little ways longer here, and then I'm not going to feel that anymore. There's, there's going to be a relief there. This is going to be taken away. And so you can run faster, and you have more energy. Or if, if you've been on a backpacking trip, and that backpack's feeling pretty heavy as you go up this hike, but, but you, you realize you're getting to your destination there, and again, you have this burst of energy because you say, I'm going to be able to put this down. I just have to go a few, few hundred more yards and I'm going to be able to put this, this backpack down. And it stirs this hope in you. That, that pain is stirring something. It's reminding you that there's an end point where you get to put that burden down. That's, that's what pain has the, the ability to do. It can remind you that it's going to be removed. I want to um, just read a few more verses here. Romans 8:18. 8, it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's pretty interesting. These sufferings, they're, they're not in the same category in terms of magnitude when compared to what, what we're going to receive, what will be revealed in us eventually. Or 2 Corinthians 4 so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And there's not a comparison there. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the Bible again describes these sufferings as light momentary afflictions. And that's not just to minimize or trivialize pain. Pain is real, and it's, it's heavy, and it's significant. And yet, when we see pain in comparison to what will be revealed, and we see pain as very temporary, then it stirs a hope in us. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, again rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, there, there, there's something that is produced out of our suffering. If we take it through the, the right lens, the right perspective, we can rejoice in it because, again, it reminds me this is all going to be over one day. It's all going to be over. And, um, and so now I can, I can take that pain, even, even though it's really heavy, 
not to minimize that again. And, and it can remind me, it can point me to that day. Suffering can truly lead to hope. And so I'm, I'm hoping this week that we can truly embrace and internalize the real, reality of our future as Christians. Regardless of what we're going through, and we will continue to go through a lot that will seem overwhelming, we can understand God is going to remove that. And one day there will be no more pain or mourning or crying or death. It's all going to be taken away. And if, if I can believe that, then I can, I can endure. And I can even rejoice. What I wanted to do uh, just in closing is actually just give us a couple minutes um, really just by ourselves in silence. And I want you to think again about whatever that, that pain is that you feel like you're enduring right now, that thing that has the potential to put a wedge between you and God. And I want you to think about that. And I want to see if you can bring that to God in prayer, if you can cast that upon him. And you can say, God, would you, would you teach me to number my days? And would you show me that this is temporary and that, that you're, you're going to relieve this? And that through faith in you, I will step into a place where this will no longer be a part of my world. That I'll, I'll be in heaven forever and these things will not be there with me. Okay, so I want you to take, like I said, maybe two or three minutes. We're just going to be here in silence and then I'm going to close this. And I want to I see if you can take something and just hand it over to God and have him refresh, your, refresh yourself in the, the temporary nature of that trial and in that future hope that you can set your heart on. Okay, so why don't you just take those, those couple minutes and, and process that with God and then I'm going to close this in prayer.
Lord, I am not naive to the fact that there, there are likely many broken hearts in this room right now. And it's easy to come to a conference where there's lots of laughter and smiling and, and fun and, and forget that there is overwhelming pain here. And that so many of us are going through things that are, are they, they just feel like we're, they're breaking us. God, I want to ask you um, to take these three days and for those of us that are experiencing that kind of overwhelming pain, I am pleading with you to, um, to give a, a release there and to do so by fixing our eyes on our future hope that we would see clearly what awaits us if we are, are in Christ, if we've come to you in faith, then there's a guarantee and there's an expectation that we can have We're going to be with you forever. And when we're with you forever and we see you face to face, we will no longer see death or crying or or mourning or pain or distress or injustice. All of those things will be gone. And I want to ask that you would take these three days and you would penetrate hearts and, and you would convince our hearts that that's real, that the pain that we're experiencing right now is temporary. We've only, we only have a few hundred yards left of this pain. And then eternity opens up where it will be removed forever. And I pray that you would convince us of that truth and that would orient our lives so that we can number our days correctly and we can live a life of wisdom in the short few days that we have here on earth. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.